Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of these four, Angelo, talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. That's Sunday, Bloody Sunday. It's from U2. It's from their 1983 record, War. And it's also number 223 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What is up, party people? How are you? This is going to be the last officially longer intro I'm going to be doing for the next six weeks. I am having surgery tomorrow on my vocal cords to fix them because I got a nodule. I got some scar tissue. So I'm going to be taking some time off. And I have a bunch I'm gonna record today of these intros, but I wanted this to be one of the last full ones that I do so I can thank everybody that has come out to uh, the Josh Adam Myers Skadoodles America Tour. Uh, A lot of you came to the shows. It was fucking awesome, man, to see you guys out there, especially in Toronto. Toronto is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Mark the writer showed up. Crazy Evan showed up. John Chiama, Vivani, Manani. Uh, who was the other guy? Mike, fucking Matt, fucking my boy MP Brown 86. Like everybody came out. Lee. And it was great, man. It really was this beautiful thing uh, to do Toronto with you guys. So thank you guys so much for coming out. I've got more and more dates uh, after this is over. Moon Tower Comedy Festival in April. I'm headlining in Los Angeles doing Josh Adam Myers uh, Hour at the uh, Hotel Cafe, May 3rd. I've got Houston coming up. I have got Winnipeg coming up. I have Laugh Boston. I'll be doing I'll be doing shows in, in Boston. I'll be doing shows in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, the calendar is going to be full. I don't know if I'm going back out with Jelly Roll this year, um, but he's got tickets for sale, so go support him. He's an incredible human being, and just thank you to everybody. But you can keep up. I'll be having posted clips from all the shows that I just did at Josh Adam Myers on all social media, joshadammyers.com for tickets. Please stay in touch. Please send me messages. I can talk a little bit after the first week, but uh, I will be kind of shut down. Uh, I might go on a spiritual uh, journey. I'm not sure. But besides that, just thank you. Thank you to everybody. And I, and I love you guys so much. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, I'll see you guys in six weeks. And subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Support this show. Support Emily. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Jeremiah. Thank you, everybody. Adam for doing all the work. Morty, everybody. Thank you for making this uh, one of my favorite experiences of my life. I I love performing and I love being out there with all you guys. 
All right, you two, it's a beautiful day. All right, uh, our guest this week is Reggie Watts. He is uh, one of the funniest dudes out there, one of the most technically and musically and funnily people I've ever met. He's got a brand new autobiography out called Great Falls, Montana, Fast Times, Post-Punk Weirdos, and A Tale of Coming Home Again. You can get it uh, everywhere, Amazon, bookstores, uh, support Reggie because he's one of the funniest people. He was a band leader on The Late Show on CBS. He uh, is toured with Conan O'Brien. Uh, he's an innovator in comedy and to have him back on the podcast again uh, is is the best. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Listen free on all platforms or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Follow the podcast at The 500 Podcast. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. All right, let's do this, everybody. Number 223, War by U2. Uh, okay, I have to get this off my head. I'm just, this is amazing. This is crazy. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Welcome back, <laughs> bud, into the regular verse. There you go. Yeah, you definitely need a little, like, just a little something to take the edge off after coming back into reality. It's like a cryo chamber. I know. I know. Tell me, tell me, I'm oh, sorry. Let me just say this in Canadian. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, dude, you're back. You're back on the pod, man. And, uh, and you get, you get a good run of records. You really do. Yeah. Like you got good. You got good. Yeah, I think so. I think you don't think wings and, you know, band on the run and you two war is like, come on, man. I mean, this isn't Billy blue bland, which we have to record in two days that I have no idea who the fuck's going to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're getting two records with like a lot of thick to it. A lot of story, a lot of, a lot of love. I mean, the, and also what I, what I thought was, I still think about this, that you said, that you're not a fan of the Beatles, but you're a fan of Wings. It's just, it's like, I think you're the, the only guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, me and Alan Partridge. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. no, no, he, he made that comment on the show, on the, on the, the Alan Partridge show, the, the, that British show uh, where he plays a radio DJ. And he was just like the, the Wings, the band, the Beatles could have been, is what he says. <laughs> it's a great line. That's a pretty good line. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what it is about. I think Wings transports me a lot more. Like it, it makes me, it's a little bit more of a solid, cohesive vision, like worldwide. The Beatles are amazing because they went through a lot of incarnations and produced like incredible music. I mean, like without a doubt, incredible music. But for whatever reason, when I was growing up, I didn't really hear the Beatles that much. I heard more Wings than I heard Beatles and I didn't collect the records. I didn't really know about any of the classic bands when I didn't know about the who I didn't know about Led Zeppelin. I didn't know about the monkeys. I didn't know about the whoever back then I saw in rock and roll compilation things be like the Beatles or like, or it's like Jim Croce or what, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of strange. I didn't really, uh, hear of them until much, much, much later at a party, this guy played, I think Sergeant Peppers or something like that. But I, I don't know what his wings is just a little bit more, I can get into it. It's got a little zhuzh to it. There's a little more zhuzh in Wings compared to the Beatles. The Beatles are just straightforward, brilliant rock, but I think there's something to really appreciate when you're talking about what Paul McCartney, it's like Paul McCartney trying to do the opposite of the Beatles, but in a sense, just taking what he did with the Beatles and making it almost better. Oh, yeah. You know, especially those first few records. And then do you to come back on and talk about arguably the biggest band 
of our lifetime. You know, I'm 44 and I, I don't think there's many bands bigger than you two. The ones that ha- I mean, yes, they've had a couple dips in their career. Like the the pop really like like that was just like terrible for them and and I don't think that really you know that was kind of like the moment where they they had to almost reinvent themselves which they did with the the beautiful day and now they've reinvented themselves again with the sphere but this is like who's bigger than you two in the last in the last forty years I mean as a band uh there's very there's very few bands I mean I we kind of say like. Aerosmith, you could kind of say, you know, but like, but U2 is like massive, like they're, everyone knows them. And then some people like, you know, also find them very annoying because Apple forced them on everybody and people are just like, what the, what the hell are you doing, man? It's like, let me, (laughs) my, my mind, my, my ears, my choice, you know, like, you know, I remember that dude, people really got mad about that. People really did not want that fucking album. I'm still mad. It still plays on my phone. Yeah, it still does. It still plays. Sometimes I plug in my phone yeah and i go to carplay and it's like the first thing it starts playing it's just like that and i'm like what is why (laughs) it wasn't even the good record yeah and and to be uh and to be clear it's like i i love you too but i'm you know my era i'm thinking about like joshua tree and boy yeah uh those were the records for me that really because they were still in their kind of experimental phase and they were also i saw that was it kind of like a mini duck that uh, Bono did with the edge uh, recently, they come back to Dublin and they do a show in this space that I think they did when they were younger, uh, like a younger band. The other two guys aren't in the film cause they were both doing like their own art films or something at the time. So it was just Bono and edge, but uh, it was cool to see, to hear them. I wish they would have went in more depth. It's just a little shallow on some of some of the information, but I wish they would have gone into depth about how they came from, you know, Ireland back that time was such a, like a, in turmoil, you know, and Dublin was not anything even remotely close to what it is today. And there was a lot of oppression and there was a lot of resentment and they were coming out of that. And that's why that they had that kind of like revolutionary leader kind of kind of vibe bono with the huge flag you know at, at red rocks and all that stuff and and obviously you know sunday bloody sunday was a tragic tragic event, and that's what he was talking about but so it's it's cool like they're a band that kind of came out of a revolutionary uh fight like a resistance fight you know in a way they they i don't know they symbolized that so that's like where they came from and i think if people understood that a little bit more they might i mean obviously music's music you're gonna like it or you're not gonna like it but it's nice to have context you know and i feel like you two does need context because there is a seriousness with this band that you know there's nothing tongue-in-cheek with you two it is it is very serious it's like when you you know bringing it back to paul mccartney even with Paul McCartney, like he has an era in his career where he's like, no, I'm just a jiggly spiggly and I'm, I'm having a boop and a boop and he's just cute. And he's like, he's, there's something about him that is like, they, that's like, he can laugh at himself. And, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, the stuff he did with Dana Carvey later in his career or, or even just, just like now, but you too. I mean, everything about this band is like, I mean, one of the first jokes I ever wrote 
that got laughs was uh, I'm not going to do the bit, but it was just the premise is that like the point of being a rock star is sex, drugs and rock and roll. And I doubt Bono has done any of them like the rock and roll. Yes, but not the sex and the drugs. And if he did have sex, I bet he would make it very awkward. And then the whole joke is just him comparing everything to like something that's going on in the world. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. Of course. And, and, and it was the first joke that I ever did that got a huge, huge laugh. And and it's because there there is nothing like, dude, if you think about the progression of the records up until until the one we're talking about, the first one is about is is about childhood, which is it's just heavy shit. The second one, what is the second? The second album is what? The Innocent Flame. Is that it? October. Yeah. The, whatever. That's, that's about another one about innocence. And this one's about war. You know, and then the next thing, which is Joshua Tree, find out what that's about too, JT. But then the Joshua Tree, which I think is the next record after this, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, the third third record, I think. Third is War, then Unforgettable Fire, then Joshua Tree. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. There yeah. So, so you have under the under the blood sky, then you have the Red Rocks, and then and the, Jesus Christ, then you have the Unforgettable Fire. Oh my oh, God! Wow. How many so, fucking oh, four four albums before Joshua Tree? Then you have Wide Awake. That Joshua Tree came out in '87. I'll just never forget how big Joshua Tree was. Oh my to, god! And, and, and dude, and Reggie, Huge. I was I was seven years old, seven eight years old, like when that came out. And I remember still going into my doctor's office, like my pediatrician, and he had a poster of the album cover for Joshua Tree up in the background. And I remember hearing "With or Without You," where the streets have no name. I mean, mm-hmm. just just such an incredible record from top to bottom but it's like that's still it's like there has never been anything funny about this bands whatsoever no the closest you get is uh what was the tour they did zoo yes the zoo with the is it zoo it was zoo zooropa yeah zooropa or something like that that and was the was first pop. yeah there was that one too those those are a little tongue-in-cheek in that they're making fun of like you know, the modern overconsumptive media landscape. So it was kind of, that was a little bit of tongue in cheek, but everything, but that's a tour concept, not necessarily an album concept. So, I mean, that's a different thing, but I think you're right about all their shit, like Octoon Baby, Rattling Hum, for sure. I mean, Zuropa, maybe Zuropa, but there was something there. They were trying something different there. You know, I think that they were like coming up with something. And I don't really know that album that well, because really, the albums I listen to the most, just Joshua Tree for sure, which is kind of over obvious, but and War, those were the ones that I remember the most that my friends were listening to back in high school because I was in high school eighty six to ninety. So Joshua Tree came out exactly at the right time for me in high school. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, they had that Beatles moment, you know, being on top of the the on top of the building, you know, and thousands of people showing up for that you know like that was you know they, they were huge reggie even take it to their super bowl halftime show it's like they oh, right you know wherever where everybody is doing something fun and it's like it's just like you know i mean even like prince like you know playing in the rain with the purple then just killing it and it's like but the, the seriousness of U2s, and yes, it happened to be right after 9-11, so there's that on top of it. And it, it couldn't have been a more perfect band to do the Super Bowl halftime show after 9-11, but, but them ending with Where the Streets Have No Name and him throwing open his jacket, having the American flag in there, I still watch that. I still get emotional. I think 
Prince is the best halftime show of all time. Actually, Beyonce's the best. My favorite is Prince. And then I, but I would say those are the top three. I, I think you got Prince, Beyonce, U2. I know people want to say Dr. Dre and Eminem and Snoop Dogg, but no, I, I didn't, you know, it was cool, but nah, it wasn't the other ones. It was also historical. You know what I mean? Like, like there was a purpose behind it that, you know what I mean? Like there was, there was, there was, a, there was a thing behind what they were doing as opposed to here's a presentation of something I want to do. Like an artist, like we're going to perform the halftime. So here's the halftime show. Whereas that's yeah. like, yeah, they made a show, but it was also about history and lineage and all of that stuff, which was cool, but it's not a, it's not a pure, you know, well, you know, whatever that word's loaded, but, but whatever, I'm just <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. like, it's more like, here's a show, you know, and uh, here's what we're thinking now, um, which is, which is a little bit different. So I, I agree with you on that. So what, so where are you with you two? So you're in high school. I mean, not when this record came out, you're in high school when the Joshua tree comes out. Was that the first time you heard them? First time, uh, no, I think I saw, uh, was it Sunday Bloody Sunday was off of, was it War? That's off of this record, yeah, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah, there we go, right. So uh, I remember seeing that video of them at Red Rocks and him waving that flag. Yeah, that's the first time I, I, I heard you two. You know, I mean, the 80s just had this fucking, I don't know, oh yeah, there it is, yeah. Just that's that him, him, the Super Bowl halftime that's show, so cool. them doing where the streets have known him. Here's what's funny about that. If anybody, all the all the fleece army out there, if you want to just catch up what we're talking about, the halftime show uh, right after 9-11, where the streets have no name. They have all the names of the people that died at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center on this big screen behind him. The thing drops as they as they get into the final chorus, and then he and then it's like just that final note. He opens up his jacket; it's the American flag. When I started doing the goddamn comedy jam, and I wanted we wanted to do this thing, or I wanted to do this thing where we did where the streets have no name, and then right at the end, like this, all the smoke would come onto the stage, and then it would suddenly clear. And instead of me holding up a jacket with an American flag, it was just me buffalo billing it with my penis tucked between my legs oh and like my a mussy. God, that would be the sick. <laughs> and I said that to Burr. I go, yeah, I'm going to do that. And he goes, no. He's like, I'm not doing the show if you do that. Like, okay. I, I guess you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's an idea. Really? That's know. so surprising. <laughs> Burr would not be into that. That's, that's weird. Burr's like, like the first person you think of when you think of something like that. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm not into nah. it. <laughs> don't, don't do that shit around me, bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there's but but this is the thing is that everything about them I, I mean I I love their music I, I I remember you know you know one when I was going through my existential crisis on life and and I remember listening to to that that song over and over and just it, it just like just to cry because it's so powerful there's everything about you too there's no lighthearted songs. They're always either wet. Even if it's it sounds lighthearted, there's a deeper message in there. And when we're talking about this record, I mean, every song on here is fucking heavy. I mean, yeah, this uh, the, the, the other thing about like Josh or Joshua Tree uh, specifically is like Bullet the Blue Sky. That song, I don't know what it, it just really grabbed my imagination because it's it was so like political and it kind of like gave you this sense of like the stupidity of war you know and how it's how it's merged with 
business, you know, and it's a, it's a business is what war is ultimately. And it's just like, yeah, I can see those fighter planes. I can see those fighter planes counting them down 100, 200, like he's talking about money and like the, the associating it to these war machines. And I was like, as a kid, I was like, holy shit, that's what? <laughs> like like that, yeah. that, that, that blew me away. And I wanted, you know, we, we would play like, you know, my band would play covers and, uh, you know, would play U2 shit. It was, yeah, I mean, with or without you, I mean, it's such a beautiful song and like- you Beautiful. Know, we, what was your high school band's name? Autumn Asylum. And you're, and are, are you, are you lead singer? Or are you multi-instrumentalist? Lead singer and, and keyboard bassist. Yeah. Lead singer, keyboard bassist. So this is, I'm thinking you're doing, you're doing with or without you. I, I mean, are you, would you say post-punk? Are you a, are you a post-punk new, I mean, 87, 88, yeah. 89? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. what were your biggest influences? We definitely, you, you two was an influence. I would say, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird confluence. It was like, I think that our influences were the Smiths, the Cure, uh, a little bit of Chili Peppers just because of uh, Higher Ground was popular at the time. And I, and I loved that take on it. Um, yeah, I'd say probably definitely more post-punk kind of like emo didn't exist at that time, but, you know, just kind of like emotion, like melancholic music, like the, you know, the Smiths are very like, I call it luxury or indulgent melancholia, you know, that's yeah, yeah. Oh, very. you know, that's like the basis of goth. Basically it's like mixed with that, like, you know, gory wood, wood block prints and, uh, you know, and just like, uh, uh, what we call it just kind of esoterica, but, and then like, you know, and a little bit of just darkness in general, and then like add that melancholic, like that, that indulgentness underneath it. That's kind of like the sum of what drove what we did. I don't think it came across that way. And I don't think the picture of the band definitely shows that at all. But, uh, you know, we were, we were going for something. There was a song that we did called she stands, which I wrote about my friend Melanie at the time. And we had this unrequited thing and, uh, she was lit. We were all on acid. I was inside my friend's car in the, on the driver's side. And then my friend Doug who played guitar in the band was in the passenger side and they were looking out the window. We were both looking out the window and Melanie was dancing under the only street light. Cause my friend in Montana, he lived out of town and they ran a grave, a graveyard. And so, um, so their parking lot was just, it was all gravel and they had like one of those old like country houses, you know, and so it's gravel and there's just one, you know, post with a, with a light on it. And that was it. Everything else was like, you know, people were miles away. And so it's just this one light she's underneath it. It starts drizzling and she's dancing and she's like, uh, she looks like a pixie fairy with like long silk, really long silver block, like platinum hair that goes down to her, about her mid thigh. And she's just like dancing around in the rain and he's playing this song and I'm like writing, she stands so peacefully. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. That's like the typical like high school lyric. It's like lying awake in bed. All these thoughts going through my head. So there's always thoughts going through your head in bed. There, there's never, even from the beginning uh, of you 2 I wouldn't say there was ever a grace period of them having that awkward figuring it out. It felt like this is a band that knew what the fuck they wanted to do. Whereas the first album was very post-punk and they start transitioning. I didn't listen to the second record, so I really don't know. But I mean, I, I can't wait to start listening to it. I'm the same, I, I, but I'm looking forward to it. 
October, October. Is there anything? Yeah, I don't. Fire. I've heard of that. But war, dude. War is. War I is mean, real. This is their third record uh, and the one that began to put them on the map before becoming uh, one of the biggest bands of the 80s. None of these songs were huge hits, but they all earned some airplay and energized the band's live shows, which were still at theaters and similar sized outdoor venues at this point. Word of mouth helped them snowball into bonafide superstars by the end of the decade. But this is the first album with strong political themes dealing with the human effects of war, suffering loss, and the constant reminder of mortality. (laughs) This is like, this is so heavy. They're not fucking around. They are not fucking around, which shrouds daily life during wartime. Massive success for the band. It, it dethroned Michael Jackson's Thriller to become the number one album in the UK and U2's first gold certified record. It's, it's amazing, right? Crazy. Well, I think it's because I think it's I think the reason it's amazing is because there's nothing like this right now. Everything is more pop. You know, you're coming off this new wave and then you have you have this serious pin and dude, they're cool. Yeah, they're cool looking. The edge is cool. The name's cool. 100%. He's got the mullet with the, you know, he's got the really good hair mullet. And he's, he's a good looking dude and he's a performer. And I think you'll agree with this. There is a, a passion in his voice when he sings that doesn't feel over. It doesn't feel like it's 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 put on. It feels like he really is like there's a, there's another guy that does that. Eddie Vedder. That when he sings, everything you feel, earnest, you feel the passion of it. Whereas, you know, and not to to shit on, you know, some other acts, but, you know, like a Scott Stapp, it feels a little inauthentic. Like they're they're adding it, which there's nothing against Creed. I love Creed. No, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) It's just a feeling and that's valid. (laughs) Exactly. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Um, so when did you really start becoming a fan of this band then? Was it just the Joshua Tree? Um... I would say Sunday Bloody Sunday is like definitely, you know, and I'm sure I heard other stuff um, by them along the way. My friend John Thomas, when I was growing up, was deep into alt, you know, what was going to be called alternative music, um, you know. Uh, so so we listened to a lot of stuff and I'm sure early U2 would have been in there just because it's just right in that zone. That's just right in that post, post-punk zone, obviously. Not as well known. Like, I don't think people say U2. Well, you know, what genre, you know, and I don't think many people say post-punk. I, I think, I think most people will say you too, you know, like, like it's an alternative rock, 
you know, was, I guess, where it would get grouped, but it wouldn't be post-punk necessarily. Whereas, you know, so, so I just did a podcast yesterday with Budgie and LOL from, uh, well, LOL's from um, The Cure and Budgie's from Susie and the Banshees, the drummer. Oh, dope. Cool. And I was so glad because, like, I'm such a huge fan. Like, those those two bands are huge for me and my, like, musical development or whatever. But they they definitely, you would call them post-punk. Like, still to this day, you would call them post-punk. And so, yeah, it's like you two flirted with it. And there were elements of it in that punk music arose as a counterculture, you know, right? To, like, it was just something that pushed directly against what was happening in the mainstream. And then you got post-punk, which was kind of like an artier version but with the same spirit but a little bit more abstract and conceptual at times and and accessible in a way and uh, more accessible and then you had you two which were kind of flirted with it but then they just kind of was like no no no, no. we're going to be inspired by american music like they really got into the american rock american folk music thing more and more it was a very interesting they're an interesting band there's definitely no band that's ever been like them they're like singular you know, singular is Led Zeppelin. Whereas, whereas Led Zeppelin came out and that first record changed everything. I don't think you two right off the jump became as big as no. Led Zeppelin was. But on the scale of massiveness, like I like, I think it's fair to say that like you two went from moderate cult status to being a mainstream band with this record. What was it like? Let me ask you this: What was it like to go from being a cult success to being on a late night talk show, which is pretty much a mainstream gig? I don't remember it feeling that much different because the only thing that really changes is the quality of production is different. You know, like you've got dedicated professionals that are that are super niche you know, that are all working collectively to make this show happen. So I would say like the resolution of the production level definitely increased, you know, to to, to 8K. It's like, oh my God, there's craft service. Like what? (laughs) I can have fruit snacks. All you do is wrap wires. (laughs) It's like, that's all you do. You just wrap wires. Oh, you just follow a camera guy and make sure his cables coiled. Like, like that's all you do. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so like, there's an art form and a craft to everything in that show. And this kind of dignity of work that you can feel uh, where there's this respect and dignity and there's like, you know, work ethic and it, it's it's definitely a different vibe. Whereas Comedy Bang Bang was more like it started as an, a non-union show, which I preferred that vibe much more. Uh, honestly, nothing against unions. It just it just was more adaptable. You know, like sure, we need to shoot this shot. Okay, well, I'll I'll do camera and you do this, and like okay, cool. And it's like no problem. You can just kind of be more collaborative. And and obviously, where unions come in is when people feel like they're t- being taken advantage of. But that didn't quite happen. But it did flip in the middle of shooting, which was pretty, just pretty insane. Like to be on I set bet. shooting, it was like one of the biggest, most expensive shots we'd ever done. Like where I'm this <laughs> undercover cop and I'm running in slow motion with a camera on a slider or not a slider, but on rails, and it's like following me, and I'm getting shot with squibs, you know, and it's all slow yeah. motion. Like we we just shot that scene, and then they're like. Production's closing down, it flipped, and we're like, what? And then I just remember calling my manager going, can you book a flight back to New York immediately? And then like within two hours, I was on a flight back home. That was crazy. But how do you keep, But because there's a, there's a, and I don't want to call what you do absurd at all, but like, how do you, how do you keep that 
I, what's the right word? You have a you have a thing that is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's a special that is different. How do you keep that while still appealing to this wider audience on something, you know, on moving into this, you know, onto a talk show on, on CBS? I, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I really didn't change much. I mean, I, I just kind of I just kind of like kept doing what I was doing. I mean, I'd gone on tour with Conan O'Brien, you know, for his only tour that he did um legally prohibited from being on television tour (laughs) and that was amazing and that was obviously like me interacting kind of with i mean because conan also is someone that he's got like he's got like underground cred you know like he he does yeah he he appeals to all my friends even my gen z friends um so everybody's got mad respect for him um and they view him as like out of all the late night hosts like he's he's the dopest he's like the coolest he was around whatever he's whatever but doing that was kind of like me being in front of kind of mainstream audiences and uh i didn't really notice that much of a difference i think that i think that's kind of something that i've always been which is i can even when i was in high school and i was performing a version of what i do now on stage in competitive drama I would do the competitive drama and I would, you know, you'd be in front of like teachers and uh, other people who are judging you in other towns and high schools over weekends and you're competing against other schools. And so, yeah, you'd get to like if you got to finals and it was like really huge and kind of a big energy. And then I remember trying out for a contest, comedy contest, stand up comedy contest to win a prize. And I won it. I got first and I was like, what the fuck? And it was like 500 bucks or something like that. And it was an amazing feeling, but that was kind of elevated as well. And then like being in Seattle in the nineties and playing in a band and like, you know, getting to open for Dave Matthews and uh, earth, wind and fire and these types of bands. Wait, like wait, I, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You open up for Dave Matthews and earth, wind and fire. Yeah. I didn't see that in my research. Yeah. This yeah. is not in any of our fucking notes. The fuck, yeah. Adam? No. What the fuck? Man, man. God damn it. Yeah. Well, you know what? You can't win all the time. I know. Uh, uh, can't win all the time. Now's the part of the podcast where we all put on our Apple Eye Vision, and I will take you there. <laughs> Guys, are you synced? Press the button, twitch. Um, no, I, I. Well, my band Mocktube uh, was a band that kind of got up there in popularity in the Northwest, and we were kind of okay. like a like a funk soul rock band. Well, it's kind of funk, but like kind of a cross between like just rock and and soul. Let's put it that way. Sure. And uh, a tiny splash of dub, a splash of trip hop, you know, whatever. But we were we were we were playing a lot and we were getting some recognition in the Northwest. And so when larger bands would come through, sometimes we'd be the band that they would that would be asked to open up for these things. So I think we opened up for India RE um, at one point on the pier. We and we opened up for Dave Matthews because there was a cancellation of an opener. So we played the Tacoma Dome. We opened and I remember oh, wow. getting on stage. This was crazy. I remember this. I remember this in a long time, but we were playing on stage and it's just like a massive stage. You know, it's like Dave Matthews has giant shows. So the stage was huge. And I was like, wow, it's taking me a long time to get to that microphone. But like getting on stage band playing songs whatever we were all like holy shit we're fucking playing this you know this huge show and it wasn't like full you know how it is for opening bands let's say it was like half full which is still a shit ton it's more people than we had ever played for i just remember like starting to sing and at one point i started dancing and when i started dancing there was this from the crowd and i was like whoa 
that's heavy. Like that, to, you know, that, oh, People they all like out. this. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. they like, they like this. That's so cool. Like, you know, like I'd never experienced that before. And uh, on that level, you know, and so I had like enough moments that were like large, a lot of people, you know, whatever moments. I think that by the time I got, I started focusing on comedy and got um, to the comedy bang, bang or whatever area. I had been kind of accustomed to it. The only difference was like cameras, like production, like a TV production. That was new to me, even though I knew how it worked, but I hadn't worked on a TV show. And then to be on a TV show. Oh, okay. Oh, I see how this works. And then suddenly you graduate to a kind of a real version of the absurd version of what you were just yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, that was insane. I mean, to just go like, oh, we were just doing an impression of what now I am doing. And now I'm doing the real thing, but I'm doing an impression of a band leader. I'm doing like an impression of a kind of, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm a yeah. band leader, but I, I never thought of myself as a band leader, like the whole time filming Porton. I love that. But speaking, of, it's like the evolution uh, to bring it back to you, too, because this, this is how I'm going to do these segues. This I'm going to do these segues. No, no. Keep us on track. I like it. <laughs> well, no, I think you got to I want to because there's only so much that I could talk about 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 this record. It's like I want to yes. know about you because uh, that's why this show works. Everybody. It works because it's it's a mishmash of everything. It's sincere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was a commercial success, becoming number one hit in the UK and number 12 in the United States. It became the band's first album, Gold Certified. Sold over 3 million copies. Generally favorable reviews, although some British journalists criticized it. The album was titled War for several reasons. In 82, Bono said, War seemed to be the motive for 1982, adding that everywhere you looked, from the Falklands to the Middle East and South Africa, there was war. By calling the album War, we're giving people a slap in the face and at the same time getting away from the cozy image of a lot of people have of you two. Has anybody... <laughs> Cozy image of you too. Cozy, 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 cozy image. Uh, I don't know. That, that, that doesn't jibe. There's nothing. It's kind of He's got a different, different definition of cozy. It's just, yeah. it's one of those things. It's one of those things where it's like, it's like I never want to see Slash in anything other than leather pants and like a cutoff shirt with like a cigarette yeah. hanging out of his mouth. Like I don't want to see Slash from Guns and Roses in Lululemon. But I also <laughs> don't. I don't want to see. I don't think you anybody has ever seen Bono in anything other than like a John Varvatos jacket, the big glasses. There's nothing cozy. They don't wear. Dude, he was fully dressed throughout all of COVID. Yeah, yeah, no, yes, yeah, so you're right. A hundred percent during COVID, like that guy just never. Yeah, he's never seen not like how you see him. All of them are like that too. All of them are like that. The whole band. All of them. They they all look like how they look like when you see them on stage, basically. Always. And, and and that's what I think we love about this band. I think that's, that's one of the main things. They are heavy. They are blunt. And that is what Edge said about this record. He did think that this could backfire. He didn't Edge didn't think that this was going to be as well received as as he as it became. Uh, because of the subject matter, he says it's a lot of people, uh, it's going to give them a lot of room to dislike this, but they wanted to approach this in a more dangerous course, fly a little bit closer to the wind, and so they think the title was appropriate. Uh, and the major reason for War being arguably harsher than the band's previous records is that Edge uses far less delay and echo than in his previous work and interesting and i love this about edge because that was one of my favorite things about uh there might be noise. i think it was the uh there might be noise the doc with him and jack white and uh jimmy page is edge is one of is a guitarist that is unlike anybody else 
anybody else and he's mm-hmm. known for being this guy that utilizes technology and then so do you so i want to ask you when did you become such a fan i mean obviously the way we even started it today with you having the apple goggles on you love gadgets and technology so when did that start uh, i think since i was born i love i just love gadgets machines tools like I, I've just always been fascinated by it because the, those devices, they, they represent possibilities, like extended possibilities, you know, um, that we don't normally have. Obviously, technology also includes being able to make a branch into a slingshot. You know, technology yeah. is is knowing how to get clean water out of certain leaves, you know, or like knowing which berries to eat. Like that's also technology. So I will include that too. I'm pretty geeky about that. But on the synthetic technology side of things, for sure, I I just always, there's never been a time, I guess, since I was a kid, like I had to like take apart my toys, you know, like unscrew yeah. them, put all the screws in like a pattern. So I know how to put it back it's together or whatever, and just like open it up carefully and look at it. I love knowing how shit works. You know, it's, it's like the, I get off on that so hard. So yeah, that's, that's kind of like where it came. And of course, like with music, I mean, I messed around with tape recorders a little bit when I was like seven or eight, I had like one of those, you know, those long with the cassette on the top and then the, the, the oh, yeah. transport buttons on the front. Um, so I would like mess around with that and kind of hear my voice back. I hope someday if I clean my garage or whatever, that I might run into a cassette from that time period. It was oh, so dude, cool to hear yeah. my voice because I have no recordings of my voice when I was younger. And, really? Uh, yeah. No, no recordings at all. Even the music you did with with the no, with the early I have band, that. I have that, but but I don't have seven year old me or eight year old oh. me or ten year old me, like yeah. you know, or even junior. Yeah, high. yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't have any of that. I have photos and I have some videos that my parents took, but it was on Super Eight and it doesn't come with sound. My dad used to have the same uh, video, not video, the audio cassette recorder that you were talking about the long one with the handle and he used to just put a tape in hit record and let it sit out at family functions like yes. we were all at we so were all smart. like my grandmother and my great aunt we, they just early podcasts yeah. talking yes. and, and telling stories and you could hear me and my sister running by i was very similar uh with technology i just wish you know i would i would take apart stuff but i mean we were also like so in a certain position financially that whatever I got, I had to like hold on to. So the idea of like breaking it for fun or like, let me just see what it's like in there. It's like, you do that once it breaks. And then you're like, mom, can you buy me a new thing? Because I took this apart. And they're like, yeah, we can't afford that. You're like, okay, I won't be taking anything apart ever again. All right. Where we let's, what are some of the heavy things, Jer, about this wreck? Not even heavy, but what are the important things we need to talk about in this record? Well, Sunday bloody Sunday has a, a, so many things in it i mean the 1983 uh release but this was like there's two different sunday bloody sundays and irish history the second was in 1972 which is when british troops killed 13 irish citizens damn but uh the edge of said it's not just about that particular moment it's about the ongoing you know problems of you know, uh, government, uh, institutions, like forcing things on people and people saying like, uh, I've had enough, you know, I've had enough of the bitterness and hate and occupation. Yeah. Occupation. Uh, the real battle is people dying, uh, according to edge. Um, so I think that was like kind of the main takeaway from that second, uh, the second track, uh, you know, just in listening to the album is pretty good, but uh, it was a staple of U2 set list until 1985 when it 
disappeared from their live shows for almost four decades. And it's just come back now with the sphere in the Vegas residency. I was expecting Josh, you to do the show from the sphere today. You're in Vegas. Am I wrong? What the fuck? How, do I, how, am I, how the fuck am I going to get there, dude? I was at the gym 10 minutes be after we were supposed to be recording. And, and then you then you called me five times because I thought this was at 4 p.m. Uh, hold on. Let me let me let me go to the sphere. Yeah, have you been there? Have you, the Rich, have, you, have you been there already? Have you seen the show? Uh, no, I, I've seen the quarter scale demonstrator that they have in Burbank um, of the sphere technology. Uh, so I, I, I kind of know what it's like. Uh it's i mean it's fucking insane the audio technology is fucking stupid it's like it's this beam wave technology so they can create these really thin slices of audio that only occupy this area so if you're if you're not here you're not hearing it you're not here you're not hearing it you're starting to hear it you hear and they can be super accurate at a good distance so they can fill that entire space with sound in a way that no other place on the planet can do that's amazing I, I whether it's great or not i don't know but the, but having that ability uh, i mean that's just a matter of creativity so what an incredible triumph for for the band to be able to really i don't want to say this is the end of their careers right now but you know they are getting older and to have like we kept saying they have made remade themselves and keep taking themselves to a place that's that you're like ah, i think you two's plateaued nope they're bigger now and they just did this nope they're bigger now even the record after this and i still have shit to talk about in this but it's like the live album that followed this uh which basically captured the world the war tour as well as the video recording of them playing at red rock was all over mtv really showed the power of the band to a lot of people that wouldn't have been aware of them before yes i wanted to ask you what what has been your biggest triumph wow i don't you know i don't know i guess i would say probably yeah to to a degree i guess i guess winning the andy kaufman award that's cool pretty dope when was that it was like at caroline's it was like 2007 something like that 2006 or 2007 i mean i wasn't like a massive andy kaufman fan but i obviously knew him from taxi growing up but learning more about what he did as kind of a a televised performance artist um he really was doing incredible things and um and then to you know enter the contest and go through that entire process and surviving it and uh and you know and coming out with something and then like getting to sit down with andy's dad when he writes out the check you know to you like it's just like a tradition of like when the winner will like go out to this kind of like no one's around place with a table and two chairs and then he writes out a check and he tells you stories about andy and he told me a story about andy getting a letter from a, a terminally ill girl who had some form of terminal cancer and uh he wrote back and then he did a gig that was kind of her town was on the way back from a gig and so he decided to just cold stop over at that house because he had the address because it was like fan mail and knocks on the door and they open it up and it's and it's him and they're like what what and um he's like where's you know like let me say is uh whatever her name is you know is she here and they're like yeah yeah she's there they call her and they spend like two hours two or three hours like hanging out the house having snacks him like joking it up all the time them having a wrestling match and him letting her win the wrestling match and all this stuff and then uh him leaving 
you know, and then when she was on in the hospital and she was close to dying, he came and visited her again. And I was like, wow, if that's, Love that. wow, you know, if that's, if that's where I'm coming from, or if that's, if I'm a part of that lineage, then fuck yeah, man. That's awesome. And yeah, and there's, there's like, he's, you know, one of the most important people in comedy, you know, the birth of what you would ever even call alt, what you ever call alt. And, and, you know, I don't even know if I'd call it, but it was just so different than what was happening at the time. So yeah, that's great, man. Um, this is a heavy one. The first record we mentioned earlier, boy was about young men dealing with growing. Their second record, October, was about spirituality and the search for meaning. And this record deals with battles, both literally in the real world and also emotionally between people. How do you deal with conflict resolution? And maybe what are what are some of the worst fights or battles you've ever had? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, conflict resolution definitely is, I don't know, my, my style is, it's dependent on the situation, but usually... I try to kind of communicate as much as possible about like it being not that I'm pissed at someone, but I'm disappointed in the situation or, or I'll like add, like, I know that you're probably a good person, you know, or something like that in there and that you're in this moment, not behaving the best or, or whatever it is. I'll try to without sounding condescending, but sometimes, but then sometimes like, you know, gatekeepers, like people who like, like security guards and, you know, just literal like bouncers and things like that. Like I have respect for them totally. Cause I know it's a, it's a hard job. It's a difficult job. Um, but when I'm trying to get into a space that I'm supposed to be in and I'm having trouble getting in and they're not critically thinking uh, in order to solve the problem and they're just being flat out. No, you can't come in. That's when I, can kind of get a little bit dickish and that's, and I hate it. I <laughs> like hate killer it. Mike situation. Oh, the yeah. That, that probably would have been me. That could have been me easily because I'm just like, so you're saying that I can't, I have to go around through all these people over here and then back around to the other side to access that area that I can just see right now. That's just across. I just won an award here. I was invited. I'm a guest and I still yeah. can't, I can't do that. And they're just like, no, like, that's when I'm like, ugh. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason. I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezek, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, 
L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. That, that I, I don't know why, but it just like it just really gets me. And that, that's when I can be like, you know, you're being unreasonable, you know, or like you don't have to be such a dick. It's like I have to go blah, blah. You know, I'll, I might say something like that. But I also usually come back and apologize. Which I start crying. I almost start crying when I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I'm really sorry, man. I know it's hard to be a thing. And I was just like, <laughs> and, and they're just like, what is he doing? <laughs> I'm a sensitive artist. Oh, God. So sensitive. <laughs> oh, man. We already mentioned this is a this is a good question, so I gotta ask this. Um, we already mentioned that this record knocked Thriller off the top spot, which is which is a staggering and intimidating insane. feat. It's insane. It's insane. Who is the most intimidating person you've ever met or gotten nervous meeting uh, when you were either at working on James Corden or just in life as an artist at a party? Like who have you given you a oh. Like most people that if I was intimidated and I meet them, then I'm less intimidated, but I definitely think it would have been, yeah, maybe Brian Eno when I met him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we started, I mean, like we, I mean, I call it a friendship. He, you know, he, he booked me for four of the festivals that he was, you know, curating. And I was a guest at all four of those. And so, and, you know, would hang out with him and his, his flat and, um, Notting Hill and you know we you know we I performed for both of his daughter's birthday parties there's just a lot of stuff he drove me to the airport you know it's like it's like you know I would say that we're friends but it took me a long Sounds time Sounds like your friends yeah it just took me a long time to view it that way though because it's you know like you meet him and you're like you're Brian Eno he worked he worked with you too oh yeah you're Brian Eno you know like you coined the phrase I'm sure someone else may have mentioned it too but he's the guy that's attributed to the coining of the phrase uh, ambient music and the concept of stu- uh, studio as an instrument, you know, and things of that nature. And then like, you know, creating oblique strategies, you know, the cards that are kind of meant when you have a block, you can kind of go through them to kind of unblock your creativity or whatever. Like just so much stuff that dude has done and the mystique of him and the fact that he was involved with you know, David Bowie. And like, I mean, he's part of that legion of hyper influencers from the 70s and um anyways it took me a while to go oh you're brian Eno, brian Eno. oh brian Eno is just a dude he's just like a guy he wears earplugs like i do you know and and he and he loves music <laughs> and he's curious but dude you're talking about you know one of the you know roxy music uh, uh another green world i mean dude we've broken down dude we did we did brian eno i think twice on this podcast and my guests for each episode were perry farrell from jane's addiction and uh and and gerald casali from devo oh my god i know him too <laughs> that's just so awesome and i went to both of their houses uh to record it and it's like and gerald it was actually it was great because gerald was so like you know he's just he's such a good guy and and you know very smart when we did the perry interview which was great it was you know it was during the it was right before the pandemic it was right 
you know, like Trump was a president and Perry comes down and just is con- he will not stop talking about Trump. He's just like, and there's kids in cages, man. And I'm just like, yeah, but Brian Eno. And he's just, yeah. <laughs> the way that I do shit here, I'm trying to like spin I it. it. I was like, kids in cages. Much like we were, they were, much like the audio was in the cages in the studio, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, and then it's this totally. is one of my favorite stories. At the end of the podcast, he goes out outside he goes outside to smoke a joint and i go hey man do you mind if i join you and he says yeah come on out man and we're sitting out there we're sitting down i have pictures of this and i say to him i go hey man how much cnn and msnbc are you watching and he goes all day long and i go bro you got to turn it off you got it it's like there's there's nothing we can do other than just voting and trying to get the word out but just but just dude you got to turn it off you'll be so much happier and he goes thank you man he goes do you want to go jump on my trampoline? And I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> we jumped on a trampoline. It, it never gets, you know, it's like you just stay, you just, that's always going to be with you when you have that childish connection to you. Oh, you know he, I mean? he hasn't lost that. He that's hasn't, he's, he's definitely kept that. And I think, you know, with all the success, you know, it's, 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 that's the thing. Is that like, you know, I would love to see, Bono, you know, on a fucking trampoline, the edge on a trampoline. But it's like this record, I feel, is this isn't their best record by any means. We already have established Joshua Tree, Actung Baby. Those are very, very important records. And then, of course, uh, the one that they did that really brought him back in the early 2000s. But I feel like this is like the almost the thesis statement for the rest of their careers. This is like, all right, this is who we are. We're going to be writing heady shit. And, and our music's going to be, is going to be, you know, has a message and a point. Um, and you, could, you can love us or hate us, but this is what we're going to be. And people needed it. We needed an artist like that. They needed somebody. Whether Sunday Bloody Sunday is about the, the British troops in, in Dublin, it doesn't make a difference. We feel what's going on. In that song, the second you hear that drum, you hear that. It's like you that it's almost like it was like the marching song going into war. Yeah. And I think that is what is special about this record. And I think that's why they they were able to take Thriller and just which, which is, you know, the greatest pop record ever made. Oh, yeah. Pop record. This is sure. too. This is yeah. a great pop. Re- There's pop. This is I'm not going to say every track, but Sunday Bloody Sunday is an is a closer or an opener. New Year's Day, a closer or an opener. Two Hearts Beat is one. Uh, it's about him and his wife. I mean, that's great. It's such a powerful record from a powerful band. And I think this is this is that moment in their career where they could have gone like this or that. And they just fucking they just took off from this. What other bands like, you know, have had such a like meteoric. Yeah, just meteoric from their third record on. I mean, Devo really Devo wasn't popular after their first record. I I think Devo was known, you know, for their first record. But I think Devo hit it big with whip it yeah right that was like the that was the right. first hit that ever at least that when i was a kid and i was like watching mtv all the time that's the first devo song that i was exposed to because that video and the video was like super oh, hot, yeah you know had the just like hot as you know sexy elements to it especially for a young kid uh and that and the song was just so good what was Whip It on? Whip It? Was that on per, uh, Permission? Or is that what the record's called? Freedom of Choice. Freedom yeah. of Choice. You're right. 
is their third album. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of a similar thing. It's like they were doing, you know, they were an art rock band and actually they, they had a manifesto. It was kind of an arty interpretation of a manifesto, but they believed in it, which is devolution. They believed in their kind of anti-corporate, anti-totalitarian um, and very much like, you know, freedom of choice, anti-consumerist, you know, and, and, and kind of slightly anti-capitalistic. And so they definitely had something, but they were approaching it from like a more of an art angle of that uh, kind of artistic protest. But there's no one that even remotely will ever come close to what Devo is. Like Devo is like, ultimately out of all the bands that exist that I love, I'd have to say Devo, and maybe it alternates with like two others, but I'd say Devo is definitely top band because of their individuality. They didn't make any compromises. They did everything exactly the way they wanted to do. And no one could tell them any better because no one knew how they are what they are. And so they were undeniably themselves. So they just had to be trusted, yeah. you know, no matter what. And the fact that they had so many hits is such a weird band, but they had like, what, like four major hits at least. That's wild. Fucking insane. So anyways. You opened up for them in 2009. I did. I I did open up for them. Yeah, yeah. On tour? Yeah. Yeah, on the West Coast tour. How did that come together? Was it? I don't know. I think they found you. I think maybe they found me, which was like huge, huge, huge honor, obviously. Or maybe I was submitted by my booking agent at the time. I don't know. But uh, I couldn't believe it, you know. And and it was when they had all... They had Josh Freeze was the only non-original He's member. been on the podcast. He's a buddy of mine. I lo- And I love, you know, I went to see them at Pier 17 in New York City. And what I love about Josh is that he... I don't know what they were like before Josh live, but man, does he turn them into a rock concert? His drumming is oh, sure. so he's the engine. And and it, I could see that like Mark and Gerald and the rest of the band are feeding off of his drums to the point where it's like, Oh, it's a different band. They're, they're still one of the best bands you'll ever see live. Like still. Are they in? I don't think they are into the rock and roll hall of fame, but I know they deserve to be. They don't need to be. They don't need to be. I mean, yes, I understand. Yes, they do. They deserve, but I'm just saying. Their cover of Satisfaction by Rolling Stones is like one of the oh, best versions of it. My yeah. gods. I would take that version over. I mean, that drum beat, it's like a reverse drum beat. It sounds like it's going backwards. It's like, boo, get dukes, boo, get goots. And it's so like, unga bunga yeah. caveman beat. I, I love that shit. I love like cave cave person beats. Um, you know, like <laughs> that that thing. And then you're hearing that do 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 and and the guitar is going I mean it's so fucking like angular alien it's like what aliens think that song sounds like. That's it's like this is what it should sound like. You know, well I don't know. Anyways Fucking as a kid, I was like, what's happening right now? They should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, we, that's a whole nother discussion. And I do vote on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's like, oh, shit, get them on there. I'm one man. I can vote for him. I voted for him. All right. Well, then why aren't you? You should be voting on it, too. An outside vote. I get like they get they have to allow one outside vote. I'll be I'll be the outside vote. You should be. Uh, voting on it because you know if I can vote on it you you should be able to vote on it as well because I got recommended by Tom Murillo because of the podcast and because we're buddies and I think he was trying to pad rage I think he really wanted rage to be in there which they deserve I mean everybody dude, Devo deserves you too I'm 2005 they went in what do you have I have a 
Uh, just a gratuitous James Corden question. You've probably been asked a ton about it, but when you got the news that he was done, like, was a part of you happy? Oh, yeah, I was hyper stoked. Okay. Yeah. TV is a lot of work, right? Here's the thing. It's like when he first asked me to do the show, he he was kind of joking, but kind of serious that he thinks that the show, he thought that the show was going to be around for about five years. And the show ended up going eight and a half years, which isn't that far off the mark. And it's definitely less than most late night shows would last. So I think there was kind of an accuracy to that. And so I was kind of already preloaded for it. Also, I didn't want to be doing it. Like I'm not, I don't want to be a career band leader, super stoked and like happy and hyper lucky to have gotten offered that job and to get the job. And it really leveled up all kinds of things, you know? Um, so I'm hyper appreciative of it. I definitely don't want to like come off as like, Oh, I had to do this thing. And Ugh. No, of it wasn't that I was, I was stoked to do it. I'm glad it was like, I designed the system, you know, I designed how the band worked. I designed how we would make the music and they let me do that. And it fucking worked. Oh, that's fucking great. I, I, I did something there, you know, and then it just kind of became, you know, a thing, you know, like you show up and you're doing it. And it's just kind of a similar thing and definitely fun times that band that I put together the best people in the world. And we were like constantly joking and talking shit the whole time during shows and during performances. And it was a fun time. I mean, unless the performance was like insane, everyone, you knew something was good when no one was saying shit. That was the cool thing. But uh, so that happened probably five times. Most of the music we got through there was like mid and just kind of like corporate music, you know, for sure. But uh, like people, like they would now it's like platinum, multi-platinum selling so-and-so. And I'd be like, who the fuck is that? Like <laughs> Glarp Wilson. You and it Glarp? was like every, it seemed like every night it was like, yeah, they got Glarp Wilson. It's like uh Snivnot. Oh, what's Snivnot? I don't know. It's like some weird, <laughs> like he was discovered on TikTok via uh 4chan. I don't know. But like, you know, these like artists, which I'm not discounting. It's great. They, it's good. Good job, guys. You did it. But like, I'm just saying, like, for us who were all Gen Xers and like grew up listening to, to fucking when pop music had sick bands in there, like or top 40 had the sickest of the sickest bands. And because of the era and because of the technological whatever, there's a lot of like things that made it that way. It's not just like back then, but it's just true in general. So we've now come through like whatever. But after a while, I I was just kind of going, oh, no, this is kind of turned into a jobby job kind of thing, which is fine. And some and I wasn't getting grumpy, but I was definitely getting a little oh, I can't wait to be out of here, which is stupid because I'm there for two hours. Like I whittled down the time that I had to be there to two hours. Like I, I got it into that zone. And so I really had nothing to complain about, but it was in my way in the sense of like I couldn't like go to Berlin and do an art project yeah. for four weeks. But it was a sick job, paid really well. It was, everyone was cool. They treated us really well. James always treated us really well. Everything was positive and swell. But then when he invited me into his, with me and the band into the office and told us that he was going to give us a year until he's letting everybody know, but we'll have a year to prepare. I was like, great. So for a year, we knew. And I was stoked about it. And there's definitely emotional moments and things like that. And I'm super appreciative of people. But as soon as like it was over, I was just out. I was gone. And, um, and now I'm like hyper stoked to be able to just have do things like this. That's the best. Have. And it's also just to like have the experience and you, you get to work on a, on a show, pad your bank account and just be like, get comfortable. And now it's like work on the projects that you want to work on, which I think all of us are excited to see everything that you do much like in your book. Oh yeah. The book. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. I forget. 
it's an autobiography called Great Falls, Montana, Post-Punk Weirdos and a Tale of Coming Home Again. And it's just a, it's just about my life, like how I became the person I am. Uh, it focuses mostly uh, on my high school years uh, and the, the circle of friends that I ran into, all my like new wave weirdo friends. Uh, but it definitely talks about my childhood, talks about my parents, like it fills in the stuff, but um, it's kind of more spends more time there. And then I loosely talk about Seattle, loosely talk about New York because I'm planning on doing a Seattle book and a New York book and then eventually an ah, LA book. Hence the title. I love that. That's the idea. So anyways, it's it's a fun book. I also, there's also an audiobook version that I read. So Get it. You can check dude. that out too. And there's QR codes. <laughs> technology. Dope. Love that technology. We talked about that. All right, this is the third of five times we're going to be talking about you two on the 500 still to come. Our Actung Baby, we're going to do uh, March 24th, 2027. And then coming in, that's at number 63. And then Joshua Tree at number 27, which will be December 1st, 2027. We've already done Boy with Phoebe Robinson. Verdas did All That You Can Leave Behind. And on the 2020 re-rank, Actung Baby drops to 124 and Joshua Tree uh, drops to 135. So these records, uh, the ones, this one and the other two do not make the cut on the 2020 re-rank. I mean, you know, we got, that's a different list. I, I do think uh, the, the Actung and Joshua Tree are the, are the two the meat and potatoes of this band was the anchors. Yeah. Those are the anchors. That was the anchors to the legacy. This is a great record. And, and to get us to talk about it and be able to have sit down with you, I can't wait to see what you come back and do in a few years. Cause you've got, you get carte blanche. So you can just look over the list and then you just tell us who you want to talk about. We ask everybody these questions. I'm excited to hear your answers. What is your favorite song on this record? Um, I do like new year's day. I mean, Sunday Blaze Sunday is dope, but it kind of got overexposed in a way. Um, but New Year's Day is fucking great. I love that song. I'm going to go Sunday Bloody Sunday. I think what's a perfect album opener. You can open with the show with it. You can close the show with it. It is a powerful song. New Year's Day, same, um, but definitely SBS. What is your least favorite song or what song do you skip over on this record? Uh, Red, Red Light. Red light. Yeah, me too. Me too. No, that's that's that was my song. All right, can you fuck to this record? Uh I think you could. It's a different style. Like not the style of how you're doing it, but it's just like the way the vibe of it, like just the general vibe of it. It's there. It's just like it's more like we're doing this. Sure. You know, like it's got it's a little bit more like we're fucking doing this, you know, it would be like listening to the sex pistols <laughs> yeah. or something like that. You know, it's like, it's, it inherently does sound like it should be sex music, but most people are not going to think about having sex to get rid of the lyrics. And musically, this is a fuckable record right from that. Ta -ta 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 -ta. Oh, for sure. Oh, then the edges guitar, very sexy when he's like, I land in the blood that spills on the land that flies in the, that's when it goes. <laughs> that's when it turns into Brandon Boyd. What he said with Brandon Boyd from Incubus said he goes. He goes. Yeah, dude. He's like you can fuck to you can fuck to Jeff Buckley, but he's like, but the music. It's like once you hear his voice, it just takes you out of it because you want to pay attention. You want to pay attention to what yeah, the Bono's saying. True. The Bono. All right. <laughs> the, the Bono. The Bono. It's the Edge. The Bono. <laughs> All right. So if, if the Bono Edge, what would be your nickname? What would be yours? 
<laughs> the reg the reg no, um, <laughs> <laughs> i like that oh that's great that's great that's great i'd be jawa j-a-w-a jawa yeah Ooh, i like that that's good if you had to tell somebody to listen to this record what's your pitch what's your pitch to get someone to listen to this record i'd be like hey just fucking listen to it like i but i would be like the intensity the way i say it you know, I'd just be like, just fucking listen to this shit. And they'd be like, okay, <laughs> Jesus. You know, that's that, that's how I would do it. I just 100% listen to this record. But I think the best way to sum up this record, this is the reason uh, when, when it felt like the band decided to become one of the biggest bands in the world. And I think this album is the starting point of that. Nice, nice, epic. I think U2 is an epic band. For sure. And I mean, just the way that there's nobody else that could be doing this fear uh, first than them. And I see it. It's right over there. Um, and it's incredible. And I'm going to go during the surgery when I have time off. That's what I've decided. I'm going to come see this fear. But surgery. I'm having vocal cord surgery uh, at the end of this end of this month. Yeah. Are they going to shave down the calluses? Yeah. They're going to take the node off and I have some scar tissue, but it's not going to. It's just going to get my power back because it just gets really tired at the end of the night. I get you. Yeah. Great stuff. Can't wait. I'm nervous to have six weeks off doing. Can't wait. Yeah, I know you're going to be nervous. That's heavy. I understand that's going to be heavy because that's like, it is who, that's who you are. That's who you express. What, it's what you, you know, so I get it. But luckily, Reg, it's the second time I've done it. So that's good. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I know, okay. I know what to expect. So you're just prone to getting calluses. This time is more scar tissue because I did. It's just I, oh. I beat him, dude. Yeah, I just I beat him up. And so now shredding. I take care of them, but the damage is already done. So if I do it now and then just keep doing the taking care of it, I shouldn't have this issue for the rest of my career. So, but dude, thank you so much for coming on, man. I, yeah. I, Reg, I love having you on anytime you want to come on. We'd love to have you please promote away because we already said the book, but what else where people can find you or, or what? They can find me. Uh, I'm, I'm filming a comedy special. Nice. Uh, for v- Veeps. I'm going. Oh yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, March 3rd at the Regent Theater in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, and there'll be two tapings, and the only rule is you have to dress up like it's 1998 or earlier. <laughs> or earlier. Yeah, okay. dude, Jay, you better get your outfit together. Reggie, thank you, brother. Please, everybody support Reggie Watts. Dude, you're the man. Thank you so much. Have fun playing with the Apple goggles, okay? Oh, man, I'm going in right now. Dude, go ahead. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Bye, guys. All right, see you guys. Love you. The Reg. Appreciate you, man. The Reg. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Reggie Watts. Follow him at Reggie Watts on all social media. Pick up a copy of his autobiography, Great Falls, Montana. And for new music this week, you're listening to uh, the 2022 single, You Are Entering the Human Heart by Razorlight. And if you have songs and you want them to be played on our podcast, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and uh, put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. All right. Next week is Professor Longhair with New Orleans Piano. We got our boy Wayne Fetterman dropping in. We got a couple with Wayne coming up because he is the fucking man. Dig it. And I'll talk to you guys in six weeks. All right. Enjoy the podcast and we'll see you soon. Well, I'm glad you came. Are you here to get back into it? You gotta win more than you bet. Of course, I recognize you. You're not a face that I'd forget. Baby, did you think I was someone else? Or just another little tough kid half in love with himself? Oh, high fives and fevers, a temporary star. Sure sounds like trouble to me. You are. Answering the human heart 
discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void we're prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.